Uh, we are in a series talking about God, uh, politics, and the church. Uh, following Jesus in a world captive to political hostility. And every time I preach in this series, I need to make a couple of things uh, known. And I'm going to say this from the beginning because some of you probably didn't hear this last week and it bears repeating. And it is this. A number of people in our congregation uh, come November 3rd will be voting for Donald Trump. And a number of people in our congregation will be voting for Joe Biden. Or some of you are going to be writing in Batman or something like that, whatever it is. But no matter who you vote for I need, and how you vote, I need you to know, and those of you watching online, you are welcome at New Life Fellowship Church. And it's important that I say that week in and week out. Amen. We are invited to New Life Fellowship Church. No matter who you vote for and how you vote. The only thing I ask as your pastor is this that you would take the teachings of Jesus Christ seriously, that you would see politics through Jesus and not see Jesus through the lens of your politics, that you would be curious about why your brothers and sisters uh, vote and see things differently than you do, and that you would live humble, prayerful lives. That's what I ask as we engage this political process and engage in the political world. What do I want for our congregation? I want our congregation to live with great unity, to live with great joy, to live with compassion, to live with uh, discernment, and that we would attach ourselves to Jesus Christ above and beyond any kind of political party or political personality in this world. And so it is with that that I want to talk about in our second week here, what does it mean to uh, be free from the disordered emotional attachments we find ourselves when it comes to relating to politics. There's a lot of disordered emotional attachments that we have when it comes to politics. What does it mean to be set free from them so that we can live in a different way, bearing witness to Jesus Christ and his kingdom in this world? And so with that, I want to go to Exodus chapter 32. If you have a Bible, if you have your phone, feel free to join me there. Exodus 32, this is one of my favorite Bible passages because it's funny, uh, because it's convicting, uh, because we get a lot to, we get to see ourselves in the people of God in this passage. And so Exodus 32 uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 4, and then I'm going to preach some of the rest of the verses in the story. But hear the word of the Lord. It says, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, look at the disrespect. This guy Moses, I don't know who this guy is, but who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf or donkey, or an elephant, you know, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Lord, thank you for the gift of Holy Scripture, and pray that your Spirit now would lead us and guide us into all truth. Speak to us, meet us, and may we live faithfully to Jesus in this world. We pray these things in Christ's name, and everyone said... Amen. 
Do you know what a Gosling is? I'm not talking about Ryan Gosling from the, from the notebook. Uh, I'm talking about a baby goose. A, a baby goose. I didn't know that baby geese uh, were called goslings until this week. And there's a lot we can learn in this cultural moment from goslings. I learned from a pastor named Peter Marty that in the, the first week of their life, these little chicks can attach themselves to whatever large living creature is nearby, essentially mistaking that creature for its mother. The process is known as imprinting. And so a few days after hatching, a gosling is looking for the thing that's going to protect it. The gosling is going to look for the thing that's going to nurture it, that's going to help it to survive. But goslings can be severely mistaken in who and what they attach themselves to. And so even just after a few days, if they see a human, and if a human is the first person or thing that they see come into their line of sight, they will mistakenly believe, that's my mother. And I'm going to follow my mother all around because this is the person who's going to give me protection. This is the person who's going to give me security. This is the person who's going to nourish my life. They instinctively look for something to attach themselves to. And as I thought about goslings this past week, I thought about the nature and the relationship between faith and politics. You see, we were made to attach our lives to God. We were made to put our ultimate hope and trust in the living God. God is the one who nurtures us. God is the one who's, who, where our identity is found. God is the one where, who really we are to open and offer our entire lives to. But the reality of our lives is this. Many Christians in this land have mistakenly, mistakenly looked elsewhere. And have messed up our understanding, our self-understanding, and have placed our trust in things outside of God. For many Christians, we are, we are attached to people. We are attached to things that are not God. And one of the most pressing areas of disordered attachments is in the realm of politics. Now, politics, as I mentioned last week, is actually a good word at its core. Politics is how a community gathers together to, 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 to help people flourish. It's how we work together for the well-being of our community. That's politics at its best. People coming together to work for the well-being of our community. And there are a number of people at New Life who work in politics. People who have given their lives to public service. People who have worked for the strengthening of communities, that justice and fairness and equality would be seen in our communities and elsewhere. But the challenge, as you know, is that politics has a way of morphing into other things. Politics has a way of evolving into other things. Politics has a way of morphing into power plays. Politics has a way of morphing into zero-sum games. Politics has a way of morphing into a particular way where we see other people as things and people to eliminate, to assimilate, or to dominate. And so politics no longer becomes the good for the community. It becomes a means through which we process and, and, and experience elimination, assimilation, and domination over others. 
People who disagree with us are no longer seen as people made in the image of God. But people who disagree with us are seen as the worst possible caricatures that makes it justifiable to despise them. And for so many people, we have attached ourselves to politics in a way that has detached our witness to Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to emphasize today. The human heart longs for attachment. The human heart longs for security. The human heart longs for meaning. The human heart longs for joy. But if we are not careful, we can find ourselves attaching ourselves to something that will ultimately destroy us. And this is the story of the people of God, and this is the story of our lives. The story in the Bible and the story of the people of God in our lives is that our genuine need for attachment is often aimed in the wrong direction and lands us in idolatry. Amen, somebody. This is the story. We long for attachment. We have a genuine need for attachment. But our need for attachment is often aimed in the wrong direction and lands us in idolatry. And whether that idolatry is related to money, whether it's related to achievement, to sex, or to anything else, and especially politics in our day, we are in danger of giving ourselves over to idolatry. Now, to say that there are disordered political attachments is to also say that there are rightly ordered political attachments. There are plenty of people who have entered the political arena to, to love their neighbors in ways that are reflected in good social policies. Politics, again, should not be a dirty word. Much good has come about in our communities because people have worked together for the good of people, for the justice and equality in our world. But in the climate we are in today, politics is simply a way to demonize others. Let them know how wrong they are and how right we are. And then we find ourselves absorbed on the right side, on the left side, or in the so-called in the middle. Where we say, I'm in the middle, and we're still absorbed. Failing to see that left, right, and middle are insufficient to be followers of Jesus. As I said last week, the church is not to be found at the center of a left-right political world. The church is to be a species of its own kind, confounding left, right, and middle, and finding its identity from the center of God's life. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. That we are a species, that the church is a species of its own kind. That when the world sees the church, we confound them. When the world sees the church, the right is confounded, the left is confounded, the middle is confounded. Everyone is confounded because we are not from this world. We are a species of its own kind. And yet the story of the Bible and the story of our lives is that we have taken our attachments and our need for attachments and aimed them in the wrong direction and land in idolatry. And this is what we see in the book of Exodus, chapter 32, where we pick up. When we pick up in the story, the people of God have been delivered out of Egypt. But as preachers have been saying for a long time now, you can be delivered from Egypt but not have Egypt delivered from you. Oh, I feel the spirit now. Okay. You can be delivered from Egypt, but not have Egypt delivered from you. And so Moses goes up to the mountain to meet with God. 
God gives Moses clear instructions as to how the people of God are to be formed. He gives them the Ten Commandments. And as Moses goes up and down the commandments, he's old and he's, he's going up and down. You imagine how long it's going to take. He gets to the top of the mountain. He comes back down. He gives them revelation. He says, this is what the Lord says. You shall have no other gods but me. You shall not make any uh, images, any idols. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. You shall remember the Sabbath. You shall honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall now not bear false witness. You shall not covet. That's pretty good. The Ten Commandments right there for you. He gives them all these commands. And then he goes back up to get more instructions from the living God. And as he goes back up, what we find is that what God has commanded him and the people not to do on the top of the mountain, at the bottom of the mountain, the people of God are violating what God just commanded them not to do. And so at one point, Moses goes back up and they're wondering, you know, he's old. Did Moses make it? Is he going to come back? You know, he, his phone ran out of batteries. You go up that many times, you know, he didn't charge and he didn't bring his charger. Where is Moses? And so they don't see their leader. They're, they're, they're gripped by anxiety and they wonder, what do we do now? And so someone has a bright idea and they begin to put pressure on Moses' brother, Aaron. They say, Aaron, we're tired of waiting. Make a God for us. Make a God for us. Why? Well, essentially, give us something that can give us a sense of security and control. Give us something that can give us a sense of security and control. And Aaron, who had just heard what God said on the mountain says, all right, and he does it. Aaron now instructs the people. He says, give me all your bling. I need it all. The gold rings that your daughter has, your son, you, grandma, give me all the bling you can give me. Now, what's interesting is the gold rings were to be used for the furnishing of the tabernacle. And now they're going to be used for the purposes of idolatry. Now there are several issues here. Lots of issues. So many messages that can be preached about anxiety. About peer pressure. About the deeply ingrained habits that are hard to break. Because they've been in Egypt for a really long time. And some habits are hard to break. They were surrounded by idolatry for a really long time. But the big issue that I want to focus on today is that they entrust themselves to something that can't rescue them. And this is the story of humanity. This is the story of our nation. This is the story of our country. We entrust ourselves to things and people and parties and platforms that cannot truly rescue us. And so as a means of feeling like we're in control, as a means of securing our future, 
We attach ourselves to things that lower our anxiety and heighten our sense of control. Eugene Peterson said along the lines with this, this, this text here, he says that the people of God wanted gods they could use to get what they wanted, like the gods they had in Egypt. Gods they could move around and force to make things happen. Gods they could use to guarantee good crops. True, in Egypt, it hadn't worked to their benefit, but that was because they didn't own the gods. The Egyptians owned them, but they were free from Egypt. Now that, but they were, now that they were free from Egypt, they wanted gods of their own. And so the request to Aaron, make us gods, is about alleviating their anxiety and maintaining their control. They, needed to, they wanted a god they could see. They wanted a god they could control. So that they could feel good about their future. And this is the story of humanity. We regularly attach ourselves to things that we believe will lower our anxiety. Make us feel safe. Help us to maintain control. Give us the good life that we want. And whether this is with money, whether this is with accomplishments, or especially for our time, whether this is with political allegiances... We choose our politics often not because it's for the well-being of our neighbor, but because it helps to lower our anxiety. It helps to make us feel safe. It helps to make us feel like we're in control. It helps to make us feel like the good life is just, uh, just around the corner if we can just vote the right person in. And so we have often viewed politics not as a means of loving our neighbor, but as a means of maintaining control. And so we attach ourselves to personalities. We attach ourselves to political parties. We attach ourselves to particular platforms. And, the, and these attachments often lead to idolatry. Idolatry, as it's been said, it's, it's, it's taking a good thing and making it into an ultimate thing. You take something good and you turn it into something ultimate. And now, the, your heart now gives total allegiance to it. Which is why we need to remind ourselves that our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Our ultimate allegiance is to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And yet, in the Bible and in our lives, idolatry is rampant. What does it look like? How... Do you know you are caught up in disordered, emotional, political attachments? How do you know that you are on the cusp or swimming in idolatry? I want to offer three signs for us. Three signs. And as I offer these signs, may the Holy Spirit be giving us insight, not into who you think needs to hear this message. Some of you already think, oh, I can't wait to send this link to my coworker. Mom is definitely going to hear this message. Oh, my, my, my cousin, he's going to definitely. No, for us. Amen. For us. How do you know you're swimming in idolatry or on the cusp of idolatry when it comes to disordered political attachments? I want to offer three of what I could have offered a hundred things. I want to offer three. Ways that this manifests in this particular cultural moment. 
The first way that idolatry manifests in this moment is that you can't name anything wrong with the party you support. One of the ways that, prominent ways that idolatry manifests is, is, is in uncritical, unquestioned allegiance to a political party. Which is why there are certain people who are actually more Republican than Christian and more Democrat than Christian because we can't see anything wrong with the party or the platform we support. Now, last week I mentioned that any person who fits neatly in a political party does not fit neatly in the kingdom of God. And I mean that. What I mean is that you're not saved. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is any political party is much too constricting a place for the kingdom of God. It cannot contain the vastness and robustness of the kingdom of God. And so to fit neatly in a political party means that you believe your political party has all the answers to the world's problems. You find it difficult to criticize your party. And you place your ultimate hope in the, in the healing of the world in a party. And I've heard it from left and right this past week. Vote for Joe Biden. He, he's the hope for our country. Vote for Donald Trump. He's the hope for our country. And we find ourselves seduced on either side, failing to see that no matter who gets voted into office, there are powers and principalities at work in our world. And listen, I don't care how, I don't care, let me just stop first. I don't care how moral a person is. Once they find themselves in the Oval Office, I don't care how good of a person they are. There are now powers and principalities within political institutions that will absorb and overwhelm even the, the most moral person. And so I, let's get the, the, the most, and I want candidates who are moral and ethical and all that, but make no mistake about it. There are powers and principalities at work. And, and yet, if you can't name anything wrong with the party you support, you are on the cusp or swimming in idolatry. What's the role of the Christian then? If I could say it this way, the role of the Christian when it comes to political engagement and the political process and voting is that in one moment we offer our support and then in the very next we offer our resistance. This is what I mean. There are plenty of people in our church watching online who are going to vote for Donald Trump and plenty who are going to vote for Joe Biden. And we, and, and, and we have different reasons for doing this, and it doesn't make sense to the person who disagrees with you. But let me just say this. If you vote for Donald Trump and he wins, your task is to offer your support, and you think this is the right thing to do, and when you come out of casting your ballots... You're now responsible for resisting the ways that his policies and his character are inconsistent with the kingdom of God. You could, go, you could cast your vote for Joe Biden and say, I'm giving him my support. But when you come out the booth, you are responsible as a follower of Jesus to in that very moment now resist the ways that his policies 
and character is inconsistent with the way of the kingdom of God. And if you can't resist any side, it shows that you are now reflecting this and you are now swimming in idolatry because no one party captures the fullness of the kingdom of God. And so support and then resist. Because this is what it means to follow Christ in this world. Secondly, how do you know you're swimming or you're on the cusp of idolatry? You take criticism of your party as criticism of you. What I mean by that is there's a good uh, uh, term in family systems theory called enmeshment. Enmeshment. And really, super simply stated, enmeshment is our damaging inability to separate ourselves from someone or something else. And that's really simplifying it here, but, but this is what I'm getting at. Enmeshment is, I have fused so much with a party. I have emotionally fused so much with a candidate that if you critique that candidate, I feel like I'm being critiqued. And now I'm offended. Now the question is why? Why do we go down this road where if you critique, critique the, my presidential candidate or whomever, I'm offended now? They didn't critique you. They critique somebody else. But now you want to fight. Why? I, I want to offer what I believe is this domino effect of political enmeshment. And I want to show you how this works out layer by layer by layer. To critique a political leader is to critique the party I align with. To critique the party I align with is to critique the values I hold dear. To critique the values I hold dear is to critique my vision of a flourishing world. To critique my vision of a world that flourishes is to critique my understanding of God. And to critique my understanding of God is to critique me at my deepest center. Do you see it now? So now to critique a political leader is now to critique me at our deepest center. This is what happens when there's no discernment. This is what happens when we're so fused with people. This is what happens when, when we look at leaders and politics as the way that the world is going to be healed. We find ourselves fused in ways that are incredibly unhealthy. And so when your candidate is criticized, how do you feel? Is there anger rising up inside of you? Do you want to now fight back? Are you defensive? And here's the question. Have I confused my core identity with the person I support? And the painful truth of this is this reality that if, if a political leader is beyond genuine critique in your mind, that political leader has taken on a godlike status. And you have attached yourselves in ways that are destructive. And there's a commandment that says something about that. It's easy to find ourselves enmeshed. But here's the third thing I want to mention, then I'll pray for us. How do we know we're going down the road of disordered political attachment where politics has taken over your life? Now, I want to say something important here because it's easy to say that and then just say, amen, let's close the service. But I want to nuance this a little bit here. For some people in the world, politics and political engagement is a luxury. 
For others, it's a necessity. This is what I mean by that. For some people, because of the color of your skin, because of the amount of money you have, because of the neighborhoods you live in, because of who you know, there's no urgency to get involved in politics because the world is ordered rightly for the sake of my benefit. And so for some people, it's a luxury. Ah, I'll vote if I want to. I'll get involved in the local community board if I want to. I'll get involved. It's a luxury. But for some people, it's not simply a luxury. Political engagement is a means of survival. It's a necessity. That people get involved. And so we, we should never demonize someone who's involved in politics. Because for some people, it's life or death. For some people, to not be involved is to be complicit in your own self-destruction. And so what I mean about politics taking over your life is not you being involved in it and you understanding the process. I'm talking about politics being so, so influential in your life that you are now absorbed in it and are participating in the political antagonisms that disrupt and destroy our world. There's so many of us that, I know people who, in their home, MSNBC is running all day long. I know you're not here, and I know you're not watching. But, but, and for other people, Fox News is running all day long. Morning, morning and evening. And then you wonder why by 1 p.m. your anxiety is up. You want to fight? Then you start rage tweeting and Facebook. I got to say something here. Well, if that's what you've been listening to all day long. No wonder you hate people <laughs> who disagree with you. No wonder I hate people who disagree with me. And what happens is now politics has taken over our lives. And this is the moment we are in. Where we're so absorbed in this way. Now... This is the people of God, and I want to show you how the story comes to an end here. The people of God are absorbed. They have a, an idol. They're trying to maintain control, lower their anxiety, secure their future. And God hears about this. And God has a word for Moses. He says, Moses, in verse 7, Go down because your people whom you brought out of Egypt have be be become corrupt. Number one, what I love about this is that these people have become Moses' people now. Before they were God's people. <laughs> now they're all sinning and everything like that. God says, Moses, your people. Look what your people are doing. Later on, Moses goes, these are your people. No, these are your people. No, they go back and forth whose people they are. Parents know what I'm talking about. Sometimes I, I, you know, my wife gets home and my kids have been acting crazy. And I can listen, your son, you see what your son has done? Like he's not, he's not my son right now. This is your son. Look at what he's done here. This is Moses and God going back and forth. Who's going to claim these wretched people? And so they have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. And there's a few funny things that happen here. Moses can't believe this. He goes to his brother and says, what did they do to you to force you to do this? I just gave you, I texted you the commands. 
how could you do this? And then Aaron says, you, you know how these people are. They said, make us gods who will go before us. So, so, I, so I said, listen, you got gold. Uh, take it off. Then they gave me the gold. I threw it in the fire, and I added this. Boom, out came the calf. Now, what's funny is early in the Bible, it says that Aaron had a tool. Like, he was really working this thing here. It, it wasn't like boom and then a cat. He was like working hard. He was like, guys, we're almost done. We're almost done. He was working really hard. But when Moses comes, he's just like, I, I don't know what happened. They just, we threw something in there. A, a boom, a, a abracadabra, a calf came out. And at this moment, God says, I'm going to destroy all of them. I'm just going to destroy all of them. <laughs> The Lord says, let me consume them now. And sometimes I think God's looking at us and saying, let me just consume them now. And he says, Moses, let's start all over. I'll make you the new Abraham. Let's start all over. And instead, Moses intercedes for the people. And it's a powerful moment. And what we begin to see, Moses as this intercessor coming in between God and the humanity, the people of God. And we see Moses becomes kind of a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ who goes before us and stands. He is the one who demonstrates the fullness of the love of God. And so, so hear this. God provides everything for the people, revelation, salvation, uh, everything they could ask for. And with all of that, they still mess up. They still sin. And even after they still sin, they get mercy. Isn't this good news for all of us? In the Bible, mistakes and mercy. Mistakes and mercy. Mis that's my life. I don't know about your life. That's my life. Mistakes and mercy. Monday, mistakes and mercy. What about Tuesday? Mistakes and mercy. Wednesday, mis mistakes and mercy. That's the story of our lives. And so Moses comes down, offers mercy, and the people of God are now set on their way to say, listen, let's try it again. And every Sunday when we gather as the people of God, we get an opportunity to try it again. For some of us, we have been so emotionally invested in this political process. And I say, be as invested as you can know the issues. Be prayerful. Be listening. But there's a line that we cross. And we have found ourselves absorbed, turning good things into idols. It's destroying our lives. But every Sunday, we get an opportunity to lay down our idols and say, Lord, can I start again? Here's my, here's my mistakes. And God says, mercy. Mercy, mercy, mercy. What we see in the story is essentially this. This is my summary of it here. We were made to attach. Our heart longs to attach to something meaningful. But we are prone to disordered attachments. But God continues to free us and invites us to attach to him. Has politics dominated your life? Have you been swept up in the hostility of the world? Have you become emotionally fused? Today is an opportunity to put our hope in the Lord. And to put our hope in the Lord is to confess that these idols can't save us. 
that the Democratic Party can't save us, that the Republican Party can't save us. Sure, they can help, but they can't rescue. They can't rescue the world from what the world truly longs for. Only God can. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we confess that the story of the people of God in Exodus 32 is the story of each and every one of us. We long to attach ourselves to things that help us maintain control, lower our anxiety, secure for us what we think is a good future. And in so doing, we find ourselves so attached and these attachments lead to idolatry. Lord, in this season where the church has often been complicit and consumed, free us through the power of your Spirit. May we be faithful citizens in this country. May we recognize our prophetic call to bear witness to your kingdom, to work for justice and to offer compassion and mercy. May we confound the world with our love. May we confound our, the world with the commitment to truth and justice. May we confound the world as we seek to embody your presence in this world. Lead us now through the power of your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. Mistakes and mercy. That's the story of our lives. I want to invite you this week to attach yourself to God. What does that mean? Well, that you would spend time listening to Jesus. That you would spend time in prayer and in silence. That you would see politics through the lens of Jesus and not Jesus through the lens of your politics. That you would read the teachings of Jesus. Read the New Testament and allow your social imagination to be formed through the pages of Scripture. Not through the political talking points of either side. May we attach ourselves to the living God. And may we live justly, compassionately, with mercy, with great humility in this world. May we be a species of its own kind, confounding left, right, and the middle, and living from the center of God's life. As we close, I uh, want to remind you, uh, there's a virtual lobby for those of you watching online. And so if you want to connect with uh, one of our New Life staff, a pastor, you can feel free to go there. There's also a prayer uh, link. And so if you want some prayer, maybe you've been absorbed and depressed and anxious and you just need someone to pray for you. We want to pray for you. In addition to that, if you're watching right now and you've been trusting in all these other things, but it has not given you what you long for, 
I want to invite you to trust in Jesus Christ. And we want to serve you along those lines. If you're in this room here and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, he loves you with an everlasting love. And he's calling you to himself. And so very simply, if you were to text just uh, yes to Jesus at that number there, one of our pastors will be in touch with you. We would love to pray with you, love to process with you, and help you get started on your journey of following Christ. As we close, I want to invite you to open up your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. And after I bless you, those of you in this room, you can uh, have a seat and Pastor Jackie will come up and give you some instructions about dismissal. Uh, for those of you online, hopefully I'll be able to see some of you uh, next week who weren't in the room uh, this week. But with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building and out of this online experience in the power of the Holy Spirit, attaching your life to Jesus Christ. For only Christ can save and rescue and give you the future you long for. May you be a prophetic witness in this world. May you be marked by justice and compassion, mercy and humility. And may God do wonders through your life. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all.